I've always wanted to be fully present, fully engaged in whatever I was doing, wherever that was. And whether that's coaching uh, 10 year olds uh, or, you know, recruiting the, the next great player at North Carolina or having a one-on-one -on -one meeting with an athlete or being at home. Like I, I wanted to be fully present there. And I think at the time that I decided to, to step down at Penn State, I was, I was struggling to be fully present anywhere. You know, I, I, when I was coaching or on the road, uh, it was hard for me to be there because I felt the pool of wanting to be home. And when I was home with my wife and uh, my two older kids at that time, um, it, it was hard for me to be all there. Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, I'm excited to welcome Coach Mike Shaw to the podcast. Coach Shaw is an assistant coach for the University of North Carolina's women's volleyball team. Prior to UNC, Coach Shaw was the Associate Director for Triangle Volleyball Club, a prestigious club volleyball program that received national recognition during his time in leadership there. He began his coaching career under legendary coach Russ Rose at Penn State, who is the winningest coach in NCAA Division I volleyball history. In our conversation today, we talk about how to be a great parent, spouse, and coach, Mike's story of walking away from coaching, the importance of emotional consistency from coaches, leading this generation of athletes, and the challenges of social media. Before the episode, I want to take a minute to tell you about something exciting, the Coaches Club community. Too many coaches are isolated and unsupported in their coaching. Most coaches simply don't have a support system of other coaches that are committed to growth around them, nor do they have anybody providing coaching and feedback for them. The Coaches Club community is a community for coaches that want to grow as teachers and leaders. It consists of several things. The first is weekly Zoom meetings. The weekly Zoom meetings will consist of book club meetings. Uh, the community will continue to study through the rest of the chapters of the Coach's Guide to Teaching first, then other books. Master classes. These will be deep dives into one specific coaching topic related to teaching or leading, either led by me or someone else that I'll bring in. Roundtables. These will be open discussions about different coaching topics for the coaches in the community. And Q&As with podcast guests. My goal is twice a month to have a Q&A for community members to attend to ask questions of the podcast guest that was on the show that week. The membership also includes a private podcast feed where you'll have access to all the community Zooms right from your podcast app, in addition to replays that will also be available online. A few other valuable things you'll have access to will be a community-wide and sports-specific group me, as well as quarterly one-on-one -on -one calls with me where we can talk about your personal growth as a coach, review film of your coaching, and more. The cost is 50 bucks a month or 500 bucks a year, and I'm offering a two-month 100% money-back guarantee. If you don't feel like it's worth your money, I'll refund 100% of your money anytime within those first two months. Go to coachesclub.community to learn more or schedule a free call to talk with me about being a part. And coaches, don't forget to grab your spot in the third round of book clubs covering the Coach's Guide to Teaching before they're gone. 
The book clubs are four weeks long and cover chapter three from the book, which dives into improving our feedback. Dr. McCleary in episode 18 shared with me that in her research at the University of Washington, they found that nearly 75% of observable coaching behaviors had something to do with providing feedback. 75%. Just imagine how much it would improve our coaching and our athletes' development if we got marginally better at giving feedback. And like Doug talks about in the book, unfortunately, the things we do the most often, we often are the most unaware of. So hop into the next round of book clubs to get better at giving feedback so that you can help your players get better faster. The cost is 25 bucks, which is primarily to ensure that those who sign up are committed to the book club, which creates a better experience for everyone. But if you sign up and aren't satisfied with the value you've received after the first two weeks of the book club, I'll refund your money. You can get a sneak peek into the book clubs in bonus episodes two and three, which also include a guest appearance and Q&A with Doug Lamov. If you want to learn more or sign up for the next round, go to cgtbookclubs.com or click the link in the show details. There's only 12 spots available per book club, so grab yours before they're gone. And as always, if you're already on my email list, check your inbox for the weekly email and a link to download the notes from this episode. If you're not on my email list and you'd like to get a copy of the notes from this podcast episode, go to coachesclubpod.com, drop your email in the form, and you can download the notes from this episode or any podcast episode. Now let's get to my conversation with Coach Mike Shaw. Enjoy the episode. All right, coaches, really excited to welcome Mike Shaw to the podcast today. Uh, Mike is an assistant coach for the University of North Carolina uh, women's volleyball team. Uh, coach Shaw, let's start with this. You claim that your coaching career started when you were three years old. So tell us about that. Give us some context for that claim. Yeah, I, it, it's something that I that I joke about, but when I really think about um, what's important in coaching and teaching and leadership, I really look back to, um, not that I remember the exact time, but my father, who's one of my coaching heroes, started a boys high school volleyball program in Derry, Pennsylvania. And um, what I found out later was how influential growing up, having my dad as a coach was in my career. And I still think, and I, I've been around a lot of great coaches over the years, coaches with national championships and plenty of wins and Hall of Fames, but my dad is still the best that I've ever been around. And um, so when I was three, he started a boys volleyball program at a place where who would ever think that boys volleyball would be popular. But um, just some of the lessons that I started learning uh, when I was when I was pretty young, obviously not at three years old, but as I grew up and then I had the good fortune of playing for my father as a high school volleyball player, um, his his lessons as a coach uh, still impact me to this day. So I'm forever grateful for that. But um, my, you know, from three years old, uh, it's it's been an, an incredible journey. And when you're around uh, such great people and great kids. Uh, to me, that's, that's the best part of coaching. And I've been so fortunate over the years to be, uh, to learn from and be impacted by the players that I've coached and the other coaches that I've been around. Um, but I was, I, I was fortunate. I, I played after I graduated from high school, I played volleyball at Penn state 
uh, where they had a men's program and a very successful one. And they also had a very successful women's program. And so after my freshman year of college, I knew that I wanted to coach and teach in some capacity. I didn't know what that looked like. So I was working a summer volleyball camp in Pennsylvania and I called uh, the women's head coach. His name's Russ Rose and coach Rose is still there. Uh, he's coached for over 40 years at Penn state and is one of the most uh, successful volleyball coaches, coaches of any sport in the country. And I picked up the phone and uh, I was glad I did. I said, coach, I, I want to get some experience. You know, can I help? What can I do? And he said, well, practice starts in a couple of weeks, uh, come to preseason and we'll, you know, we'll put you to work. And I had no idea what that looked like or what I was getting myself into. Uh, but it was one of the best phone calls I ever made uh, because from that point, I became, while I was in school, uh, the women's season was in the fall. So I would be, a, I was a student assistant with the women's team. And then in the spring, I would play our men's season. And so basically I had volleyball going year round, but it was a, it was a great um, internship, uh, if you will, into coaching. And I was part of the staff of very successful teams. And I was, I was graduating uh, and in April, of my senior year, Coach Rose said, you know, we're moving into the Big Ten. Penn State was moving into the Big Ten at the time. And he said, I, I now have funding for another assistant. Would you be interested in staying? And I didn't have uh, any other great options. And I loved my experience. So I said, yeah, I'll, uh, I'd love to stay. And so I stayed for another 12 years. Um, we won a national championship during my time there. But but more importantly, just had the opportunity to uh, work with great coaches, you know, not just Coach Rose, but the other assistants that I worked with during my time and, and just some phenomenal young people and not just the All-Americans and the Players of the Year or the kids who went on to be in the Olympics, but, but the kids who just came in and worked really hard and cared a lot about the team. Um, and so to, to kind of take the next step of my adventure, um, at that time, my wife and I had two young children and um, uh, I, I was truly fried. I was burned out um, and it was nobody's fault. It wasn't anybody's fault. It was, it was the nature of what we did. And at that time I wasn't, I, I didn't, I didn't know, I knew I was really tired. And I also knew that um, my wife and I wanted to, um, I didn't want her to be a single mom. <laughs> I was away a lot. And it, we just knew, we knew it was time for a change. And at that time, you know, Penn State, at Penn State, we had like the top recruiting class in the country coming in. And, you know, on paper, it was such a foolish move on my part because our, our program was really, set up to be very successful, but, but I also just had this feeling in my gut that it was, it was time to move on. And I felt like the program was in a great position moving forward. So I felt at, at peace about it. And <laughs> it, it was obvious, like they had tremendous success uh, after I was gone. So I was, I was just thrilled for uh, the people who were there and the people who worked so hard to make it happen. And I, I never looked back saying, I made the wrong decision because of their success. I was just 
genuinely thrilled for them. And um, the next move for my wife and I in coaching was we started a small club in Pennsylvania. And it was just like you're experiencing, like starting something from scratch is so rewarding. And um, we did that for several years. And then I had an opportunity uh, to move to North Carolina. And so uh, at that time, well, by this point, we have four children. Um, and so my wife and I said, like, listen, let's take, let's take an adventure. We knew nobody in the state of North Carolina, but we had, I had an opportunity to lead um, Triangle Volleyball Club in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it was a very respected club. And um, the people there were incredible. And, and I spent seven years doing that before my phone rang and Coach Zagula at North Carolina, who I've known for a number of years, had an opening on his staff and uh, wanted to see if I was interested. And I had to I told him and I had told my wife previously because I, I had had some different opportunities to get back into college coaching. And I remember telling my wife, there's only one place that I will do it. And that's the University of North Carolina. And I said, but I, I don't foresee that happening. But sure enough, it did. And um, when it did, it, it required, you know, a lot of thought, a lot of prayer and, um, you know, some discussions, but it's been a tremendous move. And I'm, you know, I'm so happy to be at a place like this and, you know, surrounded again by great people and, you know, having the opportunity to coach such, uh, you know, such uh, great kids and student athletes and, and it's, it's been great. So I've been here for four years now, well, coming up on four years now. That's awesome. What a great story. There's a couple of things I just think I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit more about. The first is I respect that you have the courage to walk away. Mm. That's not easy, especially in coaching. And I can imagine amplified in, at the college ranks where, you know, I'm, I'm sure that in that position you were at at Penn state, especially with the continued success that they had and likely would have had if you had stayed, right. That that would have, you know, done nothing but positive things for your career trajectory, but that you had the courage to walk away from that says a lot. I think about you. And I think that's just something that we can all learn from. Uh, it's challenging. Cause I think, you know, for, for so many coaches, it's, it's just the next step. Like, where's the next thing, you know, where the grass is greener on the other side, where am I going next, next, next. And it's easy to fall into that. But I yeah. think the other thing that I think is so profound in what you said and connected to why you left is that you talked about at the beginning that your dad was a great coach and a great father. And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of families, marriages and and relationships between parents and kids that get sacrificed on the altar of coaching. And so I'd love for you to just talk a little bit more about how you have navigated trying to be a great coach and a great husband and a great father mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. I, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked that Luke. I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I think it's, there, there are several things that I really love <laughs> doing. And number one is being a husband and a father. And I love that. 
and I love coaching. And so it, I think it is, I knew myself well enough at that time. And I, I still remember uh, the emotional strain of stepping down from my position at Penn State. I still remember walking into Coach Rose's office, who I love. And, you know, we still talk today and have a great relationship. But I still remember that feeling. And, and I also remember exactly where I was standing when I told the team that I was stepping down. And, and it, that was, gosh, that was in 2006. So 15 years ago. But I still remember those things. And, and I think what you had mentioned about, you know, it's the next step, it's the next step. I think I've never looked at it like that. I, I want to be, I've always wanted to be fully present, fully engaged in whatever I was doing, wherever that was. And whether that's coaching 10-year-olds uh, uh, or, you know, recruiting the the next great player at North Carolina or having a one-on-one -on -one meeting with an athlete or being at home like I, I wanted to be fully present there and I think at the time that I decided to to step down at Penn State I was I was struggling to be fully present anywhere you know I, I when I was coaching or on the road uh it was hard for me to be there because I felt the pool of wanting to be home. And when I was home with my wife and uh, my two older kids at that time, um, it, it was hard for me to be all there. And, and again, I, like, I'm going to stress like that, that wasn't anybody's fault, but I, when I talk to younger coaches now, like, I think that's something important that, that we need to talk about. And it's important to talk about is, uh, you know, setting setting some personal boundaries that allow you to be fully present in whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, that's good. It, we'll talk more about that. What are some of the boundaries that you've set in your own life or that you've encouraged younger coaches to set so that they can be present at at home with their family and their kids and then also be present when they're doing their job? Yeah. Um, the one of the things that I learned and I, I, I think I was journaling. So maybe journaling is one of those things. I was writing down some thoughts the other day. And one of the best things that I ever did in coaching was got out of coaching. And when I stepped down from Penn state, I, I really had um, several years and this kind of coincided with when my wife and I started the volleyball club in Pennsylvania but I really got to know like who I was and why I was here and really discovering what my purpose was. And so the one thing that I encourage other coaches to do is really get to know yourself. Like why, why are you doing this and what is important to you? But even, even on a practical level, like a very practical level, for example, when I drive, to uh, campus in the morning. I have about a 25 minute commute and it's this great commute like on, on back roads. And I take the commute in silence. Like I don't, as much as I love your podcast and other podcasts and whatever I'm listening to or listening to books, I save that for the trip home. 
And what it helps me to do is it allows my mind to uh, be at peace or to just think about the day or, or to pray or to be grateful you know, for, for whatever it is on that day. But I, I found myself arriving on campus in the morning, just really energized with what the day brings. And so on a really practical level, I think we need to, I think we need to quiet the noise around us as much as we possibly can. Um, that's rare for me because I, again, I, I'm always around people when coaching and when I'm home, uh, my wife and four children get my attention and there's always something going on. And we, you know, we had a uh, pandemic, pandemic puppy, you know, like so many people did. And that's, that's challenging my limits more than my children or athletes ever will. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, there's always something going on, but I think we need time to ourselves. I think we need um, maybe I'm assuming I, I need some quiet time every once in a while and writing down thoughts and then also having people around us that we can talk to and share um, share with. So I think that's that's incredibly important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's good. And yeah, just thinking about finding 20, 25 minutes of silence. There's not enough of us that are that are practicing that and that are okay with silence and, and our thoughts and, and just, yeah, being in a, a space like that. So I think that's awesome that you find that time in your day. And it's just part of, part of your drive in to, to have some silence and to think and have that space for your thoughts. I think it's really powerful. And, you know, another, one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you and as we exchange some emails, I think you even mentioned too, is just the, or maybe this was on a, a little blog that you had written on your website is just coach well-being and mental wellness. And I think you posed the question of coach, how are you really doing? And I'm guessing some of that um, spawned out of, you know, your journey having to walk away, but let, let's talk more about that. Like coach, how are you really doing? And, and maybe in the vein of what are the, what are maybe the the signals that you see when coaches aren't doing well? Like where where are the the traps that we can so easily fall into that should cause us to come back to a question like, how am I really doing personally? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what a, one thing that I always am, am conscious of, and and I think I've I've learned this over time is my reactions to situations that come up are really important. Um, they're really important for the growth of the athletes that I coach. They're really important for my family, like seeing how I react to different situations, especially maybe situations that uh, are unexpected or are negative in some way you know, my emotional stability is really important. And, and I start to notice maybe some signals for myself, uh, you know, am I, am I shorter than normal? You know, do, am I reacting in a way that is more emotional than it is like, Hey, that's not how I want. That's, that's, I wouldn't accept that from one of my players yet. I'm reacting in a, in a way that's, that's not how I want to. Um, 
I think at, at home as well, you know, we, we have hard days as coaches and, and if we're not taking care of ourselves, if, if I am short with, with my children, or maybe I'm quiet, I, I tend to go there. You know, I get a little more quiet than normal at home. And um, my wife and I have now been married for 23 years and, you know, we read each other very well and we know when something's wrong and she's, she's an incredible, um, incredibly intuitive person. Um, and, and she knows, she knows when I'm struggling. And so I think having that person, you know, in my life, it's her, uh, that, that knows me well enough to say like, Hey, let's, let's talk about it. Or, you know, do you need some space? <laughs> do, do you need to go walk this pandemic puppy that we're struggling with so much? <laughs> and so that's good for both of us that I, you know, I have my time and uh, she gets the puppy out of the house. So, um, so I think there are, you know, I think probably individually we have our own triggers, but I think the important thing is that we know ourselves and we know when we're not in a, in a good space because the people around us are so dependent on that. And uh, our athletes want consistency from us and they wanna know what they're getting every day and they don't want that to be something different. So I, so I, I do my very best to be conscious of that. Yeah, that's really powerful. You know, the two things that I'm just thinking of as you said that as one, you said it, know yourself. We have to have an awareness of ourselves. And, and in my opinion, a lot of that comes from understanding our past and our own experiences so that we can actually know ourselves and we can know, like you talked about, maybe the, the triggers that I have or the areas where I'm prone to respond in ways that aren't aligned with who I want to be. And then the second thing is you have someone and it's your wife that can speak into that. And, and you've given her permission to, to speak into it. And, and we need that, you know, my, my wife does a, a similar thing for me. We've only been married. Uh, we just had our fourth anniversary, but again, like she knows when things are off and, and having someone that says, Hey, we need to talk about this or, Hey, you need to take a walk and have some space and clear your mind. That's, that's so powerful for coaches to have that. Cause like you said, I, the job of a coach is unique in so many ways and so so draining often you know you're pouring yourself out and so there's just so many aspects of that that we need we need to know ourselves and we need to have people that know us and support us in it too one of the other things you mentioned towards the end there was just the importance of your athletes um knowing what they're going to get from you and showing up in a consistent way I think, especially you're talking about with our emotions. So I'd love to just hear you talk a little bit more about really what, why is emotional constancy? Why is being emotionally constant so important for coaches? And what's the impact of that on athletes when we're not doing it and the good impact when we are? Um, the, and I'm going to, I'm going to speak like as a, as a college coach, but I think regardless of what, what level we coach, um, what age we coach, what sport we coach, kids want to know that they're in a safe place to be exactly who they are. Um, and I think if 
they know what to expect from us each day. Uh, that sure helps them to, to be honest about that and also for them to fully show up each day. Um, I think the one of the one of the things that I am and, and as a staff, we're very conscious of with our college athletes. We're we're getting kids who are at these various transition points in their lives. So kids arrive as freshmen on our campus and this is their first experience living away from home for, for the most part, you know, a rare exception. This is their first experience living away from home. For almost every one of them, this is their first time ever having a roommate <laughs> that isn't related to them. Uh, they are also now entering into this phase of their athletic career where they're playing against people who are just as good, uh, just as physical, but more experienced. So it's a really tough athletic transition. And then, oh yeah, you're going to college now. So uh, you're not taking uh, cupcake courses you know, to get that, like the, the courses that you're taking, it's, it's the heaviest academic load. So all of these transitions, um, you know, arrive at this, at this point. And if, and if we are creating an unstable environment for them, it just gives them another transition that they have to worry about. And, and I think with your, with your basketball team, you know, you don't have all of those transitions, but you have kids who are, they're coming from probably every different type of background. You don't know what happened at lunch that day or, you know, who they're fighting with, or, you know, we all have these transitions. And so I think creating the environment for kids to show up and be fully present in that environment is so important. So I, I think that starts with us. That always starts with us. And then uh, we, hopefully model that in a positive way. And when we don't, I think we need to be really honest about that with our athletes. Like, Hey, I didn't, I didn't do a good job today. I lost my cool. Um, or, Hey, I was distracted. I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't with you on that. And I apologize. And uh, I think that's something that's, that's really important that, you know, has maybe evolved in coaching over the years. And I think it needs to evolve more. Yeah. You know, I think the overarching theme through that is that you and your staff that you're working with at North Carolina, you are just considering your athletes and their life. You're not just looking at them as this volleyball player that we recruited to come help us win. You're considering the numerous factors that they're experiencing as a whole person. And just that level of empathy to recognize wow, like they're going through a lot right now, whether you're coaching a, like you said, a college athlete or, or kids, right. They all have a lot going on in their lives that often we're not aware of. And so to be cognizant of that is so huge. But then, like you said too, if they don't know what they're going to get from us when they show up to practice or a game, it's just going to make all those things harder. And yeah. And, and then tying back to what you said earlier, usually when, our reactions are negative. It, it's an indication that there are some things that are off in our own life uh, that need to be taken care of so that we can better serve the people that we're coaching. So yeah, I think that's- I'm convinced, Luke, that uh, kids 
and anybody involved in our program, I'm convinced they're not trying to mess up and they're, they're not trying to make mistakes. They want, they want to do well. And a lot of times I think what, what we pay a lot of attention to, and, and I think, I think we're getting better at it is when a, a player shows up and you, you just know something's off. It, it's like, I think we have to dig into that a little more just to, just to make sure they're in a good place. And I think that's, you know, I'm learning over time that that's, that's far more important than uh, tactical considerations. It's like we, we want kids who are uh, able to perform at their very best. And don't get me wrong, like uh, we, want our, we want our team to do well. We want our players to do well. Uh, you know, we have players here who have great aspirations in, in the sport and we want to do everything we can to help them. And um, but I think one of our great responsibilities as coaches is to help them to understand that, uh, you know, they're, they're allowed to mess up here and uh, let's, let's get better at it. And um, really, really having empathy towards our athletes to, to meet them exactly where they are and to help them grow from that. That's so good. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And one thing you even said before that was just the willingness to admit mistakes too, right? You're assuming the best. These kids aren't here to try to make mistakes. I'm going to assume the best all the time from them. And then too, when I mess up, I'm going to model owning a mistake, right? It's okay for me as the coach to err. I'm going to learn from it. And, And for them to see us learning from the mistakes that we make, so powerful. Because again, when they make a mistake, then we can go, hey, we, we learn from it here. This is how we do things here. It's, it's okay to make mistakes and we learn from them. And so I, I love that. I think that's so powerful and, and so practical too, for us as coaches, like just be willing to say, I'm sorry. Um, Cause we are going to respond poorly to athletes. Like I've done it. Everyone's done it. The most powerful thing is when we come back to it and we say, I messed up, I'm sorry. And for them to see a leader model that kind of vulnerability and authenticity and, and just apologize, I think is, again, like you said, it's way more important than any technical, tactical thing we can teach them because um, hopefully that stays with them for their whole life. Yeah. yeah, I think it makes the environment a lot more human. And, mm-hmm. and I think we could use a little more of that. So I, I think it's an important facet of coaching. Yeah. And you, you started to talk too in that, in that portion about the importance of modeling for our athletes, which is so much of what we're talking about. So important that we model for our athletes. And one of the things as we, as we talked about doing this podcast was the question of who's modeling for us as coaches though. You know, we talk about the importance of us modeling for our athletes, but we need to have people modeling for us as coaches. And so I would love for you just to talk about the importance of having coaching heroes slash models maybe even who some of those have been for you, why they've been so important and what you've learned. Yeah. Thanks for asking that question. Um, I think we started our conversation with me saying that I started coaching at three years old and um, I had no idea when I was growing up, you know, what, what I would do. And I, I have two brothers as well who coach and teach and, uh, you know, my father co- ended up coaching for over 30 years at the same high school boys volleyball program. And so while I was growing up from the time I was a young kid until I was in eighth grade, 
there's there's no such thing as organized boys volleyball but what i would do is i would go to practice every day with my dad and i wasn't sitting there with a notepad you know taking notes and saying this is what he does in this situation i was i was just there and so he he still is but he was my first coaching hero and i think just the way that that my greatest takeaway from my father is that he treated everybody involved with the program so he valued them so much and i got a note recently from um so this year celebrates 35 years of my high school team winning a state championship and i know it, it's small potatoes now but every year on that date one of my high school teammates reaches out to me and says like this is the anniversary of winning the state championship i was in ninth grade well, he put it on social media and I got a message from one of the statisticians on that team. It was a young lady who was a statistician who was a couple years older than me. And she expressed to me like how well my dad treated her as a statistician. And so I, I think without trying to learn it, I understood from a very early age that everybody involved in your program, whether it's the best player, whether it's the worst player, whether it's the person who's sweeping the floor or the bus driver or the official, they we need to treat them with respect, but more importantly, we need to let them know that they're valuable to what we're doing here. And, and I think that, that was my greatest lesson from my dad. It's probably the most uh, most important one as well. And I'm, I'm just thankful that I had that opportunity to learn from him and then, you know, ultimately play for him. Um, I also remember like some of the, like, I remember my little league coach, you know, just such a, like, they were just such good people and they cared a lot about the kids. Uh, I don't remember a darn thing about how he taught me to hit a baseball, uh, but I think we kind of figured those things out on our own. He didn't try to pretend that he could help us, but, but he treated us really well and he believed in us. And I, and I think that was so important. And as I went to college and I had um, just such great college coaches, I played for, uh, I got to learn from a man named Tom Tate, who was the men's coach at Penn State. I never had the chance to play for him, but when I got there, he was a professor and just one of the, just a great teacher. Uh, I played for a man named Tom Peterson and Mark Pavlik, who was the assistant. Um, and then my experience coaching with Russ Rose, who, you know, is, is a legendary coach in, in college athletics and college volleyball for sure. And I think he sits right now at having won seven national championships and nobody else has done that. And I learned from, from Russ just that, uh, you know, you can, you can challenge athletes to like aspire to great things and let's not put limits on where we can go and what we can do. And, um, 
the other thing that I always appreciated with Russ is he wanted people to be exactly who they were. He wanted you to be the very, very best that you could be, but he never wanted me to be like him. And if anybody listens to this podcast who knows the both of us, like they'll understand that he and I are very different people, but he never once wanted me to coach like him or, um, you know, have the same personality as a coach. He wanted me to be really good at who I was. And that's the way he coached, still coaches his teams. And I think that's why they've had such great success. Um, I worked with some incredible club coaches when I was um, leading the, the volleyball club here who had just a tremendous heart for um, leading young people. And now I work with Coach Zagula and, and Susan Clements, our other assistant. And, and I think it's Coach Zagula stands out as somebody who's like always wanting to learn. And um, I think that's so important in, in what we do. So um, I think the, these ideas of coaching heroes, and of course, like I, I read a lot and I'll tell you a quick story and I, I've used this over the years and it's always kind of prompted me to like, hey, go for it. Um, when I was an assistant at Penn State, like I, like most young coaches, you get enamored with reading John Wooden books. And the very first one that came out was written by John Wooden. It's called They Call Me Coach. And it's just sort of his life story and his philosophy. And um, I, I, it's one that I always go back to. It's just a, a special book for me and my development as a coach. And um, at the time I, I mentioned to the coach who was then at the University of Michigan, Greg Giovanazzi, and Greg has since passed away, but Greg had gone to school at UCLA. And I mentioned to him something about like how important John Wooden was like to me growing up. And I said, you know, I'd love to write him a, a thank you note. And he looked at me and he said, do you want his address? And I was like, yeah, if you have it. So I wrote a handwritten note and I always remembered it was before our first child was born. So I wrote a handwritten note and in the note, I just basically said, thank you for who you are and the influence that you have had on people that you've never met. And um, I said, I don't, I don't want anything in return. I just felt like I needed to say thank you. A week later in my office at Penn State, I get this handwritten note back from, I believe the address was like Encinitas, California. And I was like, who, what is this? And it sure enough, it was a handwritten note from John Wooden uh, telling me, you know, how much he appreciated my note, but he also said in there, always remember that parenthood is the most important responsibility that you're gonna have. So um, that hangs on my wall and it's a constant reminder of you know why we're here, why I'm here, and uh, it keeps things in perspective for me. So, I think the idea of having coaching heroes and people that do things the way that you aspire to do them is is so important. And these people are much more accessible than we ever think they might be. And so, I wouldn't hesitate, young. I wouldn't hesitate in telling young coaches to at least have them to look up to, but don't hesitate to reach out to them as well. What an awesome story. 
man, just speaks to the kind of man he was, but then also, yeah, like you said, just the importance of it, the importance of having role models as coaches, I think is, is huge. Kind of shifting a little bit in our focus. I'd love to hear your thoughts and perspective on leading and in your case, recruiting this generation of athlete. Um, what, what do coaches need to be considering as we are coaching, leading, potentially recruiting this generation of athletes and how might we need to uh, change, change our approach to connecting with them and leading them? Yeah. The, um, it's so important. It, it always has been really important to get to know kids beyond are they talented enough? You know, that's always, that always has to be part of the equation. Otherwise we wouldn't be doing our job. Well, are they, are they talented enough to do this? Can they help us uh, be successful, but really getting to know the kids. And that's probably the part that, you know, on the surface is like, we, we have to do a good job of that. But I, I want to tell you earlier today, I was, um, along with the rest of our staff, was walking two recruits through the basketball museum at UNC. And in that museum is a note card. And it was like, the, there's a case that has, you know, Michael Jordan memorabilia in. And in that case is a note card that has like basically Michael Jordan's recruiting uh, profile. And on that card, it has notes about, they talk to his guidance counselor, they talk to his parents, they talk to his high school coach. Like Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, and Dean Smith and the rest of his staff are doing their homework to really get to know this kid. And um, so I think on, on one hand, we say like, you know, it used to be so much simpler that, you know, you just got to know the kid, you know, and the people around now, I look at it like, yes, we need to know the kid. We need to get to know the people around and we need to know their families. One of the first questions we ask athletes because we're truly curious about it is like, tell us about your family. And it's not so much about the family makeup. It's about how do you talk about your family? You know, are you, um, are you proud of your family? Do you love your family? Or is it like, you know, I can't stand my little sister or I can't, you know, whatever. Um, but I think those things are important. And I think social media is really important as well. Like I, I'm not telling you that we're sitting here like combing through every kid's social media. But I do think you see themes. You see themes in what they share on social media and you see what's important to them. And um, I think in terms of recruiting them and, and ultimately leading them when they get here, I think you really have to get to know what is important to you, um, what's important to them. And and then having the ability, as we talked about earlier, like having the empathy and the understanding and the communication skills to be able to sit down with them and meet them exactly where they are. Um, so I think the, the other thing that I would add, and again, maybe a, maybe a really practical thing for coaches to consider is I, 
I'm always conscious of when, if an athlete walks into my office, um, I want to be able to give them my full attention. And so when we're talking about leading athletes, they, they want us to listen to them. And something very practically that I do is I make sure like if I'm in the middle of something, if I'm working on something, I'll always make sure like, hey, hold on a second, like give me a minute to finish this up. And I physically close my computer because I don't want them, I don't want them thinking that anything else is more important than what they're here to talk about. And it could just be like, hey, um, can we grab some coffee? Or it could be, hey, what can you talk me through the scouting report? Or it could be something much more important to them. But I, I always want them to know that, you know, they have our full attention. And I think when we're talking about leading young people, they want to know that they're being heard. And I think it's our responsibility as coaches, again, going back to like really doing a good job modeling that. Um, and then hopefully they're doing the same and learning from that. And uh, when they leave North Carolina, like they're, um, they understand the importance of, of listening and, and really being present with people. Yeah, that's powerful and a great practical example. Just let's make sure we're, we're being present when we're having those conversations with the athletes we're leading. I'd love to know too, and you mentioned it a little bit, just talk about the challenges of social media and both from the standpoint of the challenges that our players are experiencing and then the challenges that, that we have to deal with as coaches to try to navigate that and help them navigate it. Yeah, there, there are parts of social media that I absolutely love and uh, getting to know you through social media. is like, that's a part that I love. We, we get to learn a lot. Um, the other part that I love is you really get to know what's important to people. And, you know, if you, if you, if you scroll uh, for 10 seconds or more, you get a pretty good feel for what's, what's important to, uh, to different people. I, I, I would, um, I would say I'm somewhat active on social media, but I do, I really sympathize with, with young people uh, in the challenges that it presents. And I, I guess in a way I'm really fortunate, like my, my children, are, well, I have a daughter, my oldest child is a freshman in college. She just finished her freshman year. And then my son is a junior in high school and my next son is in seventh grade and my daughter's in fifth grade. And so they're kind of going through a lot of the things that the athletes are going through. And I've, I've really seen some mistakes on social media. And even with my own children, like we have those conversations all the time, but basically, anything you put on there is so heavily scrutinized. Um, my kids, I'm sure, have more followers and, uh, than, than I do. Um, I think about a lot of the high-profile athletes at a place like North Carolina or other um, schools across the country, and the amount of, uh, I'll say, abuse that they get on social media is, is so disheartening. Like, that, that people can be so cruel, you know, from, from their phone or behind a keyboard is, it, it's just mind boggling to me. So I think 
it's part of our role as coaches. This is, this is part of why coaching is so complicated now is that you don't know what voices they're listening to or what they're reading or um, the importance that they're giving it. And I think we always need to be framing that, like, you know, who are the, who are the important voices in your life? And I, I have a term that I use, it's like, what are your inputs? You know, what is coming in? And is it really important? Is it helping you to grow or is it negatively affecting you? Yeah. And as you're saying that, I'm just thinking, man, we better do a great job of building a really positive relationship so that we are an influential input. Because mm-hmm. if we don't, like you said, there's a lot of voices and there's a lot of people with thoughts and opinions. And if they don't really, if they don't trust us, if we don't have a, a deep trusting relationship with the players that we're coaching and leading, then yeah, they'll listen to a lot of other voices because there's a lot of other voices that might tell them what they want to hear versus what they need to hear. Or just that they won't be able to recognize like this isn't someone or this isn't a voice that matters, you know, because, man, I can only imagine what it's like to be a high profile athlete, especially at the college level, and to just get all this input. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love the quote that Brene Brown is really popular, popularized with, with daring greatly and, and the man in the arena and not listening to the feedback from people in the cheap seats, right? It's like, they, they're not in it. You know, they don't get to have a voice in your life. They don't know what you're going through, you know, they, and, and so helping athletes navigate what voices to listen to. I think that's so, so important. And, and obviously like, again, we've got to have a voice that they trust so that they'll listen to us that's so that was the word i I think that's so important what you said is you know do they do they trust our voice and you know how do we show up for them because if they don't if they don't trust our voice there are plenty of others out there that are available to them but what is what is the voice that they trust yeah that's really good and and i agree with those things kind of shifting a little bit and tying back to something we talked about earlier we talked about the importance of emotional control, emotional consistency as coaches. And we've talked a lot about the importance of modeling. I think that's a huge thing for us to model if we want our players to actually exemplify that when we're playing. And so you, you shared an example with me about an exercise that you did when you were at Triangle Volleyball Club and something that you used to try to help athletes respond better. And so will you share what that exercise was and maybe uh, what the impact of it was and why it's so important. Yeah, I think it, I think it started with um, trying to become a better coach myself and what it evolved into over time was I, I made a sheet available to our coaches. And then these are conversations we had with the athletes that we were coaching. And what we did was we just said like, what are, what are scenarios that will inevitably happen over the course of a season? You're going to get a bad call or hundreds, you know, you're, you're going to get bad calls. The officiating is going to, they're going to make mistakes. Uh, you're, you're going to have a tough loss. Maybe it's a game that you feel you should have won, could have won, but didn't. Uh, you're going to have a great win. You're going to have an athlete who 
isn't playing to their potential over a consistent period of time. So these typical scenarios that every coach who has ever coached a team in any season goes through, reflecting on how do I want to respond in those situations. And so when, when, it, when I took that to a personal level, it was like, oh boy, like if I'm reflecting on this past season, how do I wanna be better in those situations moving forward? And so I would make that available to our coaches to, to do. And oftentimes we had some good discussions around that, but then taking it to the players and the importance of that, how, how are we going to respond after a mistake? What it, what's your reaction to teammates going to be? What's your reaction to yourself? What, what are you saying to yourself? What are you thinking? So, so we talk about like, what's your reaction to a mistake? What's your reaction when things are great? You know, are you still mad about the previous play and you can't even celebrate with your team? Like, what are, what are those things that are happening? So I think just the importance of being proactive in terms of this is what I want to do. And then reflecting back and saying, like, did I do those things? How did I respond to a bad call? Uh, you know, because they're going to happen. And I, again, I think everybody's doing their best. I don't think officials try to make bad calls, but you know, you're always going to think that you could have gotten one that you didn't, but how, how did I respond to that and did it affect my team? So I think being proactive in our thought about that, but then also reflective after the fact to say, how am I doing in this, in this area? Yeah, that's powerful. And from a coach standpoint, like you said, I mean, it's going to make us more aware, right? We've, we've thought about it before. I know this is going to happen. How do I ideally want to respond? Because in the moment, like if we don't think about it beforehand in the moment, who knows how we're going to respond because it's emotional. It's sports are emotionally charged. It's difficult, right? We all have our triggers. And so if we don't consider it beforehand, it's just kind of however we're feeling. And that's how maybe we respond on that day. But then to just think about it before, to consider it before how powerful that is. And I think the other really important thing in what we were just talking about is when you take that and you do it with your players and you have them consider it, now you guys are on the same page of we've defined what we expect in these situations. And now, you know, we hear coaches talk about accountability all the time, hold kids accountable. You can't hold them accountable if you haven't set the standard together and they don't believe in it. Right. But as soon as we say together, Hey, when this happens, this is how we're going to respond. Accountability is not that hard after then you've got to be willing to follow through on it. But now it's just, Hey, this is what we said we were going to be. This is what you said you were going to be. How did you respond? And, and then back to what we said earlier, they're going to make mistakes too. Okay, you responded really poorly. How are you going to do it next time? And, and just the power in getting clear on our expectations because far too often as coaches, we assume that our athletes know what we mean when we say we've got to be focused on the next play, but we've never defined it. We've never had them consider it. And then when a situation happens and they don't focus on the next play, we get on to them, but they're like, oh, what do you mean? Next play. We've never defined it. There's no, there's no thing for us to hold them accountable to if we haven't gotten clear on our standards for these different situations. So I think that's just so, so, so powerful and profound. 
Yeah, I think one thing I've started doing quite a bit is um, I, there's a big international volleyball tournament going on right now. It's called the Volleyball Nations League and it's in Italy. It's sort of like the precursor to the Olympics. And there's some incredible volleyball happening. And even at that level, the very highest level of our sport, there are examples of players responding so well when things aren't going their way. And there are plenty of examples of players not responding well. And I've started to take like these little video clips to say like, hey, what are your, what do you think about this? Is this, is this serving them well? What, you know, what happens on the next play after they respond in a negative way? So I, I think, I think your point is a great one that they don't, they don't know. And, and we, it's our job to show them like, hey, if this is what we're saying, this is what we expect and giving them some real examples. I also think, you know, just, it's an old coaching adage of like, catch them being good. And, and too often we, um, we're, we're finding fault and that's part of our job too. Like we wanna get better at the things we're not so good at, but really celebrating those times when, um, you know, players are typically like, quite honestly, they're their own worst critic and they have a hard time saying like, that was, that was really good, that felt really good. So I think it's our job sometimes like asking them the question, like, how did that feel? What do you think about that? And then we get a pretty good glimpse into what, what they're thinking about. But I think catching them being good and telling them that, hey, that's, that's exactly what we're looking for. You know, how does that feel? And, and so I think the way we communicate that is, is really important. Yeah, man, noticing progress, catching them being good. It's just so, so powerful. And to tie it back to what we said earlier, if you want to have a voice that they trust, you better catch them being good and you better notice when they do something that they couldn't do before or that they struggled with before. It's just so powerful to do those things. I've got one more question and then a few rapid fire questions for you. Go I know a big, a big part of your why in coaching or something you're passionate about is just teaching young people the value of teamwork, how to be a part of a team and the importance of teamwork. So will you talk about maybe some specific things that you've done in your coaching career? Maybe it's at the college level, maybe it's at the club level, um, ways that you have tried to teach that value of teamwork and, and really create connected teams that value each other. Uh, it is, it is truly, um, what I enjoy doing, um, I think for, for me as a, as a coach and as an educator, like I, I've always used, I've always viewed sports as the world's greatest classroom to learn about the important things in life and, and specifically with team sports and specifically with, with the sport I love of volleyball. Um, going back to my dad a little bit, my dad, uh, when he was growing up, he had a high school boys volleyball team. This is in the 1960s. And so he played high school volleyball, but then he also played baseball and he played soccer. And he went to this small school in Northwestern Pennsylvania called Slippery Rock University. And he played baseball and soccer at Slippery Rock. 
And then when he got his teaching job in Derry, Pennsylvania, he started the boys volleyball team. And I, I remember asking him, dad, why, why boys, why volleyball? Why did you start volleyball? You could have coached soccer. You could have coached baseball. You played both of those in college. And he said that he felt that volleyball gave him the greatest opportunity to teach kids how to work together as a team. And I was like, okay, like we have a responsibility here. So, so I think, and, and you can make this argument about any team sport that, oh, it, we're all interdependent on each other. Like in basketball, you're not gonna be successful if it's just one player. Football, you clearly can't do that. Um, lacrosse, you clearly can't do that. But volleyball is truly dependent. I'm dependent on the previous contact and the person making that contact. And so there are some inherent things in the game that teach us how to operate as a team. But beyond that, how can we create an environment where we value each and every person? And, and so something that, that we do at, at North Carolina specifically, uh, but I think it's but I think it's so easily adaptable to any any anywhere you are is like at the beginning of practice, we have a time where we say we we connect. You know, it, our practice plan on the board, first thing we do is connect every day. And so players could be warming up, doing their own thing, getting ready. But then when we come in to start practice, we connect and everybody has to like high five everybody else. You know, it takes 30 seconds, but there's just... And what we say is when, if, if I give you high five, we need to make eye contact as well. So it's a way for every player to connect with every other player. So everybody's valuable. Everybody has the same value, value in this. And, and the other thing, and I, I credit Coach Segula for this. I think he's been doing this a long time. At the end of practice, um, every player comes up to each of the coaches or staff members or trainers and we thank each other and we show gratitude and it's like thank you and then that way uh, look we have tough days sometimes but we always end the day just grateful for the opportunity that we had to be together today and so what does that what does that do it sets them up sets their minds their hearts their bodies up for the next day to be like okay, as good or as bad as today was, like, I'm grateful for you. And let's go about our day and we'll, we'll get back after it tomorrow. Um, I, I think the other thing is that, and, and I think it's, it's something that's, um, you know, maybe at the core of, of what I believe is important about coaching is just connecting with players. And, and I, I think I've used this term before, like meet them where they are. And every player is going to have some different needs and different backgrounds and different things that they're going through, good or bad, but can we meet them where they are? And I think just uh, finding that time and finding um, the space to connect with each player on their level is, is so important for us as coaches. That's awesome. Those are great strategies. Yeah. How much would that change a lot of coaches as coaches practice environments. They just did those two things, connect for 30 seconds at the beginning and express gratitude to each other at the end. It's really powerful. And yeah, it shapes an environment that hopefully our kids like being a part of and want to come back to 
the next day. And to go back to the very first thing you talked about with your dad, they know they're valued. We've got to make sure that the people that we're coaching, the people that we're working with, they know that they're valued. So that's, that's an amazing thing. I love that. Thanks for that example. And just the knowledge that this is a division one program and that's what you guys are doing. You you guys are prioritizing people at the highest level. We can have both. We can have high performance and we can have really positive relationships and experiences that develop people. We don't have, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Yep. Exactly. Very well said, Luke. Yeah. Well, let's do, let's do a few rapid fire questions. Just the first thing that, that comes to your mind. Here's the first one. The most fun part of coaching is the people. Absolutely. From the, from the athletes to the other coaches we get to be around um, to all of the people behind the scenes who make what we do possible. So, so important. They're the best part about it. Yeah. Here's the next one. I wish I would have known blank before my first coaching experience. Ooh. Um, I wish I would have known how meaningful my first phone call to coach Rose was. Yeah, absolutely. I think I I understood the importance of that much later, but um, it's, it's pretty important to, to pick up the phone. Yeah. That's awesome. I know I'm successful as a coach when. When my players are really sad when they take off their Jersey for the final time. That's good. I want their experience uh, in whatever context it is uh, with our team. I want their experience to be something that they truly take with them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, that's fantastic. Here's my last one. If you could decide, these are the top three things, every coach, every sport, every level, they should be educated on these things. What would they be? Uh, Empathy, meeting kids where they are. I think how to teach well. Uh, I don't think coaches now are, are trained. I'm very grateful that my undergraduate degree was in education. I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Um, but I think how to, how to teach well. I'm glad you had Doug Lamav on. I think that was, that was fantastic. Um, and then I think the, the third thing is to not eat lunch in the faculty lunchroom. And that one probably requires a little bit of an explanation, but, um, give the explanation. (laughs) Yeah. I I want that one. I'm intrigued now. What do do teachers do in the faculty lunchroom? Oh, they just complain about kids. There you go. There you go. And, and I think when we start to have those thoughts about kids, even if we never verbalize them, uh, those seeds are planted. Um, and going back to like, now, you know, like how, how meaningful your podcasts have been. I think Trevor Reagan was on, right. And, and talking about his stuff, like the Pygmalion effect, so powerful. And um, I think just 
it's, it's not just how we interact with kids, it's our thoughts about kids, like understanding that there is so much good in every young person that we interact with. And the, my purpose in life is to pull those good things out of those kids. And when we hang out in the faculty lunchroom, uh, we're not doing we're not doing a good job with that. So uh, I'm always going to believe that there's a lot of good in other people, and um, let's let's help them to see that too. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I'm I'm inspired right now just hearing you say those things. That's that's powerful, and yeah, just the reality that the mindset that we have towards the people we lead actually has a huge impact on them and their growth. And for anyone that hasn't episode four with Trevor Reagan, he talks some about that. And Trevor just put out a video uh, on YouTube and you can follow him on Twitter that, yeah, that, that was a really challenging video for me. I, I was inspired and challenged by it. Yeah. Coach, this has been fantastic. First thing, I think we're going to need to do a part two when we talk about how to teach well, if you're down for that, because yeah, we could, we could spend an hour talking about that. I think it's so important. Love it. Uh, and then last thing, just share with people how they can connect with you and, um, yeah, get in contact if they want to. Um, I, I do have a, um, semi-active, uh, blog website, uh, we call it shawcoaching.com. Uh, so that's one way I, I, I do reflect a lot and journal a lot and write a lot. I don't always share what I'm writing, uh, but the things that I think will be helpful to other coaches I, I put on there. Um, and the other way is uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's the same thing. It's at six, the number six, uh, Shawls, S-C-H-A-L-L-S. That's awesome. our house, six, six Shawls. We go, we go everywhere. It's fantastic. Well, coach, this has been amazing. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thanks for all that you shared today. So much good stuff for coaches. Luke, thanks so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed the conversation and, and I just admire all that you're doing for coaches everywhere. So thank you. Coaches, thanks for listening to this episode and thanks again to Coach Shaw for coming onto the podcast. This conversation really resonated with me. I think in large part because I could just feel the sincerity of Mike's love for coaching and his athletes. I remember finishing the interview with him and thinking, if I have a daughter that plays volleyball, I hope she gets to play for Coach Shaw. I don't know if I could pay a coach a higher compliment than that. I just think his sincerity and love for athletes and coaching was so, so evident in that conversation. Like I mentioned in the intro, you can hop on my email list and get the podcast notes from this episode or any episode at coachesclubpod.com. And if you're interested in being a part of the Coaches Club community, go to coachesclub.community or click the link in the show details to schedule a free call to talk with me about joining. And you can sign up for the next round of book clubs at cgtbookclubs.com. Those book clubs kick off on Wednesday the 22nd of September and Sunday the 26th. There's only 12 spots in each book club, so grab yours before they're gone at cgtbookclubs.com. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club podcast powered by Transform Sport where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. 